Good morning. My name is Jerry Schoberg. The scripture reading for today is taken from the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 9. All of it. <laughs> As he walked along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it's someone like him. And he kept saying, I'm the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and then said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. And then I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, Where, where is he? And he said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been born blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and they asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that now he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes Ask him. He's of age. 
he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So, for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered to them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are this man's disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. <coughs> Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and you are trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. This is the Gospel of Christ. Tis your grace that brought us safe thus far, O Lord. And we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, your grace will lead us home. Fill us with eternal life through your Son. We pray. Amen. 
As Jesus is walking along with his disciples, we're told he comes upon a man born blind, a man who'd been born without any sight. So Jesus, you know, he spits on the ground and takes, up, makes, takes some dirt, makes a little mud, and spreads it out on the guy's eyes. And I mean, the guy never asks for this, just to be clear. <laughs> Apparently Jesus uh, is into smearing spitty dust on the eyes of strangers, and I don't recommend that any of you do the same. He's Jesus, he can do it. Even so, after this sort of perverse spa treatment, he sends the guy down to wash off in the pool of Siloam, this underground spring-fed pool, well known as a spot for ritual cleansing. The guy does what he's told. He takes a little bath at Siloam, and he returns with perfect 20-20 vision. Just like that, a man who'd never seen so much as the outline of a grapefruit is suddenly able to see a sunrise for the first time. He was blind, and now he sees. Now, you might expect a certain amount of celebration at this fact. It's not every day that something like this happens. This radical change, however, is mostly met with skepticism. He goes back to his neighborhood. The neighborhoods can't wrap their heads around it. We know this guy was a notorious panhandler begging on a busted curb. Now he's commenting on the color of somebody's tie. It can't be him, some of them say. must be a guy who looks like him. They just can't see it. Then his neighbors bring him to the Pharisees, folks well-versed in the scriptures and traditions of Israel. They interview him. Same response, Jesus, mud, eyes, wash, see. Problem is that Jesus did this thing on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. If he didn't, doesn't observe the Sabbath, it makes him a sinner, and sinners can't do stuff like that. They just still can't see it. Others think it's got to be a scam. They do a little background check. They go to his parents. They hold up a photo. Is this your boy? Yes. Was he born blind? Yes. Well, then why can he see now? Don't ask us. They say, he's a big boy. He can speak for himself. And you know, they, they do that. They bring sort of him and cross-examine the man formerly known as the blind man. How'd this happen, they ask, and, you know, he is kind of indignant at this point. He's told the story over and over and over again. I've told you a thousand times, he says, but you just don't get it. Jesus, mud, eyes, wash, see. It's simple as that. If this guy weren't from God, he says, then he couldn't have cured a case of the cold, let alone reversed my blindness. I'll let you draw the conclusion for yourself. I can't believe you guys can't figure this out. And I mean, unfortunately, this impassioned speech doesn't change their minds. It just kind of makes them mad, and they chase him out of the meeting. No matter what he says or how many times he says it, they still don't believe his explanation. No matter how many times he says, they just still can't see. They can't see what's happening. Now, at this point, in, you may have noticed something of a pattern here. Jesus opens this guy's eyes for the first time, but every other explanation is offered other than that one, the one he gives. He's either an imposter or it's a scam or he must be lying. Jesus just couldn't have opened his eyes. 
One theologian puts it like this. The irony in John's story is that the blind man receives his sight, but everyone else in the story loses theirs. Not their physical condition, but their capacity to understand what they witnessed. It's clear that there's more than one form of blindness at work in the story. Now, what exactly is going on here? What is that other form of blindness? Why can't they see? Well, for starters, the issue isn't necessarily the miracle of restored sight itself. I mean, there might be some amount of skepticism about that, but unlike most of us modern folks, they would have been a bit more open to the miraculous. Nobody's ignorant or offended by the idea that such a thing could happen, period. So it's not just about the miraculous healing. The question as to whether or not miracles are possible is not the issue that's at play, at least not primarily at play. No. One detail gives us a clue as to what's really going on here. It's the mode of the miracle. It's the mode of the miracle. Look at what Jesus does, this rather odd thing. He spits on the ground, he squishes the spit with some dirt, makes some mud, and he kind of just shoves it in the guy's eyes. And then he sends him off to a purification pond to wash it off. If this, <laughs> if this is God in the flesh, you know, maybe he could be a little bit more efficient. I mean, he could have just, I guess, snapped his hand, fingers, and said, poof, sight to the blind, there we go. I mean, it would have saved a lot of time and a lot of effort. But there's more going on here than meets the eye, if you'll forgive the pun. <laughs> a groan is as good as two laughs. Um, so Ambrose of Milan, who is a bishop and theologian in the 5th century, 4th century actually, 4th century, says that it all goes back to the beginning of the Bible. The person whom Jesus touches, he says, the person Jesus touches receives more than just his sight. In one instant, we see the both the power of Jesus' divinity and the strength of his holiness. As the divine light, he touched this man and enlightened him. As priest, by an action symbolizing baptism, he wrought in him his work of redemption. The only reason for mixing this clay with saliva, he says, the only reason for mixing of this clay is to remind you that he who restored the man to health by anointing his eyes with clay is the very one who fashioned the first man out of clay. And that this clay, that is our flesh, can receive the light of eternal life through baptism. You'll remember that in the beginning, the Bible, God creates the world by bringing light out of darkness, that God's Spirit hovers over the primordial waters, that God parts them to create the space for stable life, that God molds the first human being out of clay, out of the dust, and breathes life into them. Ambrose says that's 
what's happening here with the blind man. What's happening here with the blind man is actually an act of new creation. This man is not only getting his literal sight back, he's getting his spiritual sight for the first time. Jesus has not only cured his blindness, he's flooded him with the light of eternal life. By the same spark that ignited the Big Bang, Jesus opened his eyes, the eyes of his heart, and made him into a whole new person. In the same way that we're washed in the waters of baptism, the old human being, captive to the power of sin and death and decay, has been rinsed away, uncovering the true child of God within. So what this man can see that the others can't see isn't simply that miracles happen, but that Jesus has the power to bring about whole new people. Jesus has the power to bring about whole new people. The power to bring life out of death, the power to recreate us in his image from the inside out. Jesus has the power to create whole new people. So the question that Jesus confronts us with here is what kind of life and what kind of world we think is possible. Like his neighbors, like the Pharisees, man, we're in the dark. We think that change is possible, but only if we discover the right technique or work hard enough. And when that doesn't work, it's, as it usually doesn't work, <laughs> it usually doesn't work, we give in to despair. Last Sunday, we were leading our monthly service at the chapel at at the views at St. Joseph's, and during the prayer request time, one woman simply asked for us to pray for the world. And when pressed, she simply said that she wanted us to pray for all the bad stuff going on. She said, then she said, we need help. We need help. We need help to be and see the world differently. We need help to see and be in the world differently. And the good news, of course, is that we've got it, that we've got this help. That's the gospel, the good news. Perhaps you know the story of John Newton. Newton is best known as the author of many famous hymns, the most famous of which is Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, which we're going to sing shortly. What you may not know about Newton is that he was something of a religious skeptic at the beginning of his life. Not only that, but he was a heavy drinker and a gambler. And to top it all off, for most of a decade, he made his living in the slave trade. He captained several ships carrying enslaved Africans across the dreaded middle passage to plantations in the West Indies. And on his way back to England from West Africa in 1748, uh, Newton awoke in the middle of a terrible storm in which the ship began to sink. And he thought he'd die. So, you know, reaching back into his Sunday school learning, he simply cried out, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And the storm eventually 
died down. Now, whereas disenchanted folks like us might have thought this a mere coincidence, Newton understood the calming of the storm as a moment of divine revelation, as God telling him something. It was a disclosure of divine mercy, a God who did not want him destroyed, but saved. Through the storm, his eyes were opened to the compassion, the forgiveness, and the reality of God. Now, to be clear, his life didn't change all, that one, all at once. He actually continued to work slave ships until a stroke forced him into retirement. But gradually, his eyes were opened, and he was given words to speak. He began to speak out against slavery, regarding it as a terrible stain on his own soul. Newton became an ardent abolitionist, joining the parliamentary campaign to abolish the African slave trade, which was passed in 1807. He even went, he was even going so far as to say, he even went so far as to say that his time as a slave trader, he wasn't truly a Christian in the fullest sense of the term. The hymn Amazing Grace gives story to this lifelong conversion. And guess which biblical story it involves? This one. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. Thank you. <laughs> finally some positive reinforcement for my singing. It's like grace, it's unmerited. Um, um, but Newton understood himself as akin to the man born blind. That his salvation in the storm had opened up his eyes to the power and mercy of God, not only for himself, but for all God's children. It made him not only love God, but love his neighbor as himself. You could say that the mud that Jesus put in his eyes may have taken decades to fully wash out, but gradually he was able to see clearly. He was blind to his own sin and complicity. He was blind to the image of God, ignorant as to the presence of Christ in the face of enslaved Africans. He'd given up the drinking and the gambling, but the most radical transformation God wrought in him was opening his eyes to the God-given dignity of those whom he helped to buy and sell. And the possibility, too, that this institution could come to an end. It turned a wretch like him into a disciple of Jesus into the child of the living God, Jesus made him into a whole new person. Like Jesus opening the eyes of the blind man, amazing grace is a testimony to the power of God to open our eyes and to make us into new people whenever, when we never thought it possible. We not only need help doing, we need help seeing that there is help. There's help for me and there's help for you. There's help for our struggling and suffering world that is so blind to the possibility of hope. And that help has already come to us 
in Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Jesus opens our eyes to a whole other hidden reality, the power of God to bring light to our darkness, the power of a God who makes all things new. It may not happen all at once, but it does happen. And it's a change that baptism points to, one we receive by faith. Jesus makes us into new people. I'd like to close with this. I shared a quote from Ambrose of Milan earlier, but that was only the first half of the quote. I'd like to share the second half as well. Like the man born blind, he says, like the man born blind, let Christ wash you and you will see. Come to be baptized, it is time. Come quickly and you too will be able to say, I was blind and now I can see. And as the blind man said, when his eyes began to receive the light, you too can say, the night is almost over and the day is at hand. May your soul be washed in the life-giving power of the Spirit. May your eyes be opened by the light of Christ, and may your soul ring with that sweet sound we call amazing grace. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Great.